Well, good evening. This is Pastor Darren. Once again, it's Thursday evening, what we would call Monday Thursday. I did not say Monday Thursday. I said Monday Thursday. And this is a very important night for us to remember what happened here. And this night, or evening rather, was the actual evening that Jesus ate the Passover. Uh, This year's Passover was yesterday. However, we're celebrating it today with Jesus as we read it in the story. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start reading in verse 17. Matthew 26 verse 17. And it's going to talk about the last, what we would call the Last Supper. And it's exactly what happened tonight as we sit back and and think in our minds of what Jesus was going through this night and into the wee morning hours of, of Friday. And let's look at verse 17 in Matthew 26. Now the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand, and I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. That was roughly about six o'clock or sundown. And as they did eat, verse 21, And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto the Lord, Is it I? Lord, is it I? Is it me? Verse 23, And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man that he had not even been born. Pretty strong words from Jesus, isn't it? Pretty stout words here. Verse 25, Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said to him, Thou hast said it. Verse 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and brake it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them. And he said, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, or we would call it the New Covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Let's read that again. For this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Verse 29, But I say unto you that I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And verse 30, When they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said unto them, All of you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written that I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Now, he said these things prophetically, knowing what was going to take place. 
But the disciples didn't understand a bit of that. They didn't listen. They didn't. They heard, but they didn't hear. They had ears, but they didn't hear. And he told them this. And then verse 33, Peter said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. I tell you, Peter, I'm telling you right now, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Verse 35, Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all of his disciples. In other words, all of them said the same thing. Then come Jesus uh, with them unto a place called Gethsemane and said unto his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray yonder. And he took Peter with him and the two sons of Zebedee, which were James and John, by the way. We call them the sons of thunder. And, the, and, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy, Then, which means oppressed. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he cometh unto his disciples, and finds them asleep. And he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, that you enter not into temptation, for the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away, and the second time, and, and prayed, saying, O Father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, then thy will be done. And he came, and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them, and went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the exact same words. Verse 45. Then cometh he to his disciples, and saith unto them, Sleep on now. And take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Verse 48. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast, or seize him. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. Now the word master is actually trans translated rabbi. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. And Jesus said unto them, Put up again the sword into its place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he presently give me more than those that are here, more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves for, to take me? 
I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and laid and you laid no hands on me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples, notice the word all, then all of the disciples forsook him, and they fled, every one of them. And they laid hold of Jesus and led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off to the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see what the end would be. Now, Jesus here had instilled what we consider the communion, but actually he was instilling parts of the Passover and he was taking parts of the Passover which they knew ritually and he made a new ritual. He said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Every time that you do this, remember me. Every time that you drink the cup and you take the bread, you remember me. Remember my sacrifice. Remember what I did. And so he instills that, but something very important here is Jesus told them about this before it even happened, and they just did not grasp what he was saying. And oftentimes, we're quite like the disciples. We read the Word of God. We listen to the Word of God through preachers and radio and even podcasts like this one. But we don't quite grasp what's going on here. And the disciples didn't either. And at this very, very night, I want you to understand, this was the night that Jesus instilled it. This was the night that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And then they went out after they'd sung a, a hymn, and they'd went out, went into the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed in agony. One of the scriptures said that he sweat as though it were great drops of blood. And he prayed in agony and said, my God, Take this from me, Lord. Father God, take this from me. Take this bitter cup from me. But then he said, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want, God. I'll do it, God. I'll do it. And thank God he did do it. And shortly after that, here come Judas with 500, 500 men, 500 guards and temple guards and men Roman soldiers to capture Jesus. 500 for one man. That's why he said, you come after me like I'm a thief. You come at me with staves and sword. He said, I've been with you all week long. And you didn't grab me then. Why now? You know, a lot of people think that the Jesus was weak and Jesus was kind of just, okay, let's go. And No, Jesus was a little mouthy there. And then when he gets into the questioning later this on this night of a mock trial which was illegal for the Jews to even hold by the way especially those of the high council they shouldn't have never held it it was against their their rules or their religion so to speak but they held it secretly anyway and then they held a public one the next time the next day the next morning and then they led Jesus out to Calvary early that morning and hung him on a stake from 9 o'clock till 3 o'clock. So tomorrow, Good Friday, is when they take Jesus and they crucify him. But tonight is the, is the feast, the Passover, where they're celebrating the, the Last Supper. 
and then it becomes his arrest and his mock trial. How would you right now like to be sitting in the comforts of your own home and a knock come on your door, you open the door and a group of people come in and grab you and haul you away with no excuse. And they take you in front of a local judge and the judge says, well, you're guilty. Oh, you're guilty. No really trial, no, you know, no nothing. All trumped up charges, all all false and fictitious charges. And they actually lead him to the Roman procurator and he is the one that allows Jesus to be beaten beyond recognition and then carry his own cross to a place of the skull, a place called Golgotha, what we call Mount Calvary, and was crucified there on Friday. But something I want to want you to get with this is this very night, on, on a Thursday night, a night like this, Jesus did all of this, and this was his arrest, and this was his betrayal. Folks, I don't know about you, but I've had friends and other folks betray me, and I'm sure likewise you've had people betray you, but not like Judas had betrayed Jesus. When you look at Judas, you've got to look at a man who never really took Jesus for real, who never took Jesus really in his heart and believed. He said he did, but he didn't. And there were a lot of people out there today that are Judases. There are a lot of people out there today, they go to church, they do the things of church, they go through the rituals, they go through all of the, you know, the singing of the songs and the giving of tithe, all these things, just like Judas did that don't have a relationship in his heart. Judas was one of the chosen 12. Yet in the process of it, he was never sold out to Jesus. Matter of fact, the Bible says that we know now that he was a thief, that he often took the money that was in the money box and he often used it for his own good. That's why he got so upset at the alabaster box that was broken and all of the spikenard, the very expensive spikenard ointment. This would cost someone a, a basically a whole year's salary the spikenard would be poured out upon Jesus' feet and wiped with their hair. And he got so upset, Judas got so upset, said, why wasn't this, this perfume sold and given to the poor? And Jesus had to rebuke him and said, hey, you know, you, you don't, she did this to my burial. You don't always have me with you. You will not always have me with you, but you will always have the poor with you. Cut her some slack there, Bubba. Cut her some slack. Judas was upset because he could have had that money and he could have used it. And he could have said, oh yeah, I give it to the poor. In reality, he would have used it for something else because he was a thief. And there's a lot of people running around out there today. Some of them, I'm sure you know, that have hurt you because they've been a Judas to you. And you know what? Just love them. Forgive them. Say, hey, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's not going to stop me from entering heaven. I'm not going to allow any bitterness or anger or malice against you or any unforgiveness in me because I choose to forgive you. Even though you have not apologized, I choose to forgive you. 
because I'm not going to allow any unforgiveness or anger or malice or wrath keep me out of heaven. So you've got to forgive them and you've got to walk on. You've got to forgive them and you've got, and they and walk on. But let me tell you something about about Judas. Let's let's just look at another piece of scripture real quick and I'm going to flip over to the gospel of John chapter 13. John chapter 13, we're going to start out in verse 26. Jesus said or in verse 25, I'm sorry. <coughs> Verse 25 said, Then he, lying on Jesus, meaning John, on Jesus' breast, said to the Lord, Lord, who is it? Talking about who's going to betray him. And verse 26 says, Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, listen to this closely, after the sop, Satan entered him. Then then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, doest quickly. Now no man at the table knew what the intent was that he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the money bag, that Jesus said to him, Go buy those things that we have need of against the feast, that, that, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. And then Jesus began to explain to his disciples that it was going to be time for him to be betrayed. So the Bible says that Satan hadn't entered Judas yet. However, let me tell you the trick of the devil. The devil already put in Judas's mind the thought process to betray him, but he never acted on that thought. He kept that thought. He thought, I could make a lot of money here. I could I could hand over Jesus to them for some money, and we know that he, he sold Jesus out for only 30 pieces of silver. But it says here that Satan entered him. I do not believe that Judas understood or knew until that moment what his demonic assignment was. I believe Satan toyed with the thought. I believe Satan put the thought in his mind. But first you have to react on that thought. And you ha you can have thoughts cross your mind. But if you don't meditate on those thoughts, it's not a sin. The problem was Judas meditated on those thoughts. He sought out an opportunity and then Satan entered him and made him fulfill it. Satan entered him, hello, and made him fulfill it. Now you say, well, preacher, how could that be? Because he was with Jesus. Well, I'm telling you, because his heart was not sold out. Because he wasn't sold out to the Lord, he had an opportunity. He was His intent was evil all of the time. He was a thief to begin with, and he was always looking for something that he could take or steal, money-wise. Somehow he could make it look like he was doing right, but he wasn't. And I know a lot of people that are faking it right now that are faking a relationship with Jesus. And they're just like Judas. Be very, very careful because the devil can use an opportunity to get to you and destroy you. Be very, very careful because you begin to play out those thoughts of sinisterness like Judas did and you begin to think on those thoughts and it will open a door to the devil himself 
and he will wreak havoc in your life. And he did that to Judas. And notice the Bible said then in John, then Satan entered him and he went and did what he thought about doing all along. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Don't end up like Judas. Don't end up playing games with God. Don't end up not being sold out. Don't end up not being sold out to Christ. Give him everything that you've got. Don't give the devil an inch. Don't give the devil any foothold whatsoever. And that's exactly what happened with Judas because he wasn't sold out. He was only looking to satisfy himself that he didn't have that relationship with Jesus that he should have had. Yes, he was one of them. Yes, he was one of the 12. He was one of the so-called disciples, but man, he was not sold out. And that should go to show you that there's people even in the church today that are just like that Judas. They're just not sold out. And they're still living life the way that they want to live. And they're still doing life the way that they've always done. And they're griping and complaining about things never changing. And it's always this and it's always that. And they're singing that old song, you know, gloom and despair and agony on me. Nothing's ever worked. Nothing ever works out right. Oh, woe is me. Woe is me. Nothing, nothing ever ever works out right for me. How come nothing ever, God must not love me, so on and so forth. But you play the game. You go through those ceremonies. You go through the, the tricks. You go do the things that, that Christians do, that church people do, but yet you're not sold out in your heart. And because of that, you've opened doors for the devil. And one of these days, he could nab you and get you in a whole heap of trouble like he did with Judas. We know how it ended with Judas. After, after he, was, he betrayed Jesus and he saw the mock trial take place and he realized they were going to kill him, he asked the priests, I, I've betrayed innocent blood here. I've betrayed innocent blood. And he gave the money back to him, and they laughed at him. And he went out in agony and he hung himself. And the Bible said when he hung himself that his bowels gushed in two and spilled out on the ground. And he committed suicide. Unrepented. He was sorry for what he'd done. But the Bible never says that he repented. He never asked Jesus for forgiveness. He never said, Holy God, forgive me for I've, I've done wrong. He didn't. He didn't. The Bible doesn't portray any of that. We just know that he went out and he hung himself. Folks, don't allow the devil to give bad thoughts in your mind because once you play out those thoughts, you end up performing those thoughts. Once you play out this in your mind and you allow the devil an entrance into your mind, you begin to play out the scenario of how it's going to happen. Next thing you know, you act on it. How do you think affairs take place? How do you think an emotional affair begins? It begins with a thought process. And then you think more about it, and you think more about it, and you think more about it. And eventually, unless you can come come out of it or the Lord deliver you from it, you have to act on those thought processes, and then you actually act out what you thought about. And it becomes a full-blown affair, and it destroys marriages, and it destroys lives. That's what happens to a marriage is we allow the devil to begin to put a thought process in our mind. That's what happens to, to people who think they are Christians but have evil thoughts in their mind or sinister thoughts come in their mind and they play out those thoughts 
and next thing you know, they act upon them. How many people have been interviewed that were murderers that said, I never intended for that to happen? No, they didn't. But some did, of course. But some of them said, I didn't intend for that to happen. I never intended to hurt anyone. I just had to make sure that these people died. Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? That tells you that the devil's involved in it. And let me tell you something. If the devil can get Judas, he can get you. You've got to be very careful, my friend. Those of you that are listening, you've got to be very, very careful. Be careful what you do and what you listen to. Be very careful. Make sure it's not the devil. Make sure you're listening to holy things, good things. Make sure that you're reading the word and got the word inside you and you've got it inside your heart so that you know it forwards and backwards. And the next time the devil comes and puts a bad thought in your mind, you'll know better and you can rebuke him and send him on his way and he'll have to flee. Don't be a Judas. This night is what we we celebrate is when Jesus instilled the new covenant. This is the new covenant of the blood. And you know, you can be you can take even take communion, but not be right in your heart. Be very, very careful, my friends. Make sure you're right with Jesus. Well, thank you for allowing me to come into your homes this evening, across your whatever app that you're using to listen to this podcast. I appreciate it. Keep your focus on Jesus. Don't lose hope. He's still on the throne. He's still there. God bless you, my friends. We love you. So long now. Well, good evening. Appreciate you joining me this evening for this little Bible study on Wednesday evening. I appreciate you coming and listening to me. I'm Pastor Darren Sluter from Briley Chapel Community Church in Lewis, Indiana. If you have a copy of God's Word with you tonight, we're going to go to two different places tonight. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, and we're also going to be in Matthew chapter 27. Acts chapter 1, Matthew 27. So get your Bibles out and join me for a just a brief Uh, moment of just kind of discussing some scripture. Now, when Jesus was crucified, they buried him in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, we know that he arose. And But with them, a lot of people don't realize with that, there were several others, actually numerous others, raised with Jesus. And we don't really catch that. We kind of miss it. But Let's see what the Acts chapter 1 says here. This is uh, Dr. Luke, by the way, writing this. Luke, who was a physician, uh, wrote Acts, and, and after uh, intensive study, he put all everything that he found to pen. And it says, The former account that I made to you, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day which he was taken up, After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive. 
So this is proof positive. He was alive after the resurrection. He was not the the Snopes theory, or Swope's theory was uh, was was wrong. Uh, and that theory is that oh, Jesus never was really dead. Jesus actually just um, was unconscious from all of the pain and and uh, of the scourging and and the nails through his hands and his feet and and uh, he just was unconscious from the pain. They just thought he was dead and they went and laid him in the tomb and then. When they put him on that cold rock, it took a while, but he revived, and he got up and and come out of the out of the tomb. Well, there's several reasons why that didn't happen. First of all, who would have been there to roll the stone away? Yes, Jesus could have called angels and rolled the stone away, but uh, if he was thinking he was just a man by that, not thinking that he really died, then he would have had to roll the stone away. But the actual reality of it is is the romans were very good at what they did this was not just some slipshod type thing they decided to do they were very good at killing people and these soldiers were the best soldiers in all of the world at that time there weren't any better soldiers at all so to think that a centurion which would be sort of like our captains today a captain in the army he's been around a while He's well-seasoned, and he's seen a lot of death. Not only did he know that Jesus was dead, he passed, uh, stopped from breaking his legs, but also they shoved a spear up into his side, and blood and water come out. Now, why blood and water? First of all, uh, they pierced his side, and it went up into the chest cavity, and could possibly, depending how deep it went, could have possibly pierced the heart. We don't know for sure. No one did an autopsy on Jesus. They did not do a post-mortem. We have really no idea, but we do know they stabbed him with a spear, and that spear point was approximately six inches long. So we know at least went in six inches, if not more, so we know it got into the lung cavities at least. And by way of suffocation, his lungs were filling up with fluid and he literally suffocated and because of of the traumatic beating that he took and so forth uh, he would have suffocated and there would have been a lot of uh, bodily fluid coming out so they would have hit the the sack around the lung and they would have hit the 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 pleural sack around the lung and they would have could have hit the pericardium the sack around the heart. We don't know, but blood and water both flowed out. And this Roman centurion knew that Jesus was dead. Uh, there was no more proof to be had. No more proof to be had. He was dead. He did not even flinch when they stabbed him with that spear. So this theory of that Jesus was laid on this cold slab of, of limestone or marble or whatever it was, rock, we don't know really for sure and all of a sudden he come back to life hours later um, is just really baloney it didn't happen Uh, and second of all we know he was seen by his disciples and not just the 12 there were a lot of other people that saw him that were in that upper room as well and they saw him and were proof positive. The two men that were on the road to Emmaus come back and reported to Peter 
and them that they had seen Jesus and talked with Jesus as well. And, of course, the women, Mary Magdalene and, and Salome and several others, of course. And then, uh, you know, he walked through the walls and, and uh, just appeared out of nowhere and, and spoke to them. And he, uh, eight days later, did the same thing when Thomas was amongst them. And then Thomas finally believed. We have that record in John. And uh, you've heard me preach on that Easter Sunday as well. Uh, so there's many, many records of him uh, being alive and coming around, walking around people and being around them. Matter of fact, it was not a ghost that they saw because a ghost don't eat and drink. Where is it going to go if it's a ghost if you eat and drink? The, Jesus ate broiled fish and drank. So how in the world can a ghost eat and drink? So it blew that theory out of the water. So the resurrection is very important for you and I to believe. It's very important. It's just as, just as important to believe in his virgin birth as it is his sacrificial death. So we must believe in both of them, and that's in centrality to Christianity. Now let's look what he said in verse 4 of... Uh, or verse 3, uh, we'll continue in chapter 1, verse 3 of Acts. It says, To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them, all of these people, during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining unto the kingdom of God. In verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So we know that 10 days before Pentecost, Jesus ascended into heaven. So 40 days after Passover, 40 days after our Easter, Jesus ascended. So he was seen for 40 days. And let's turn over to Matthew 27. I want to look at this other piece of scripture here with you and to give you an idea what's taking place and we had talked about that uh, a couple of um, podcasts back but um, let's look at Matthew chapter 27 and we're going to look at verse 51 and it says and behold the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks split now that was a prophecy of Zechariah in 11, 10, and 11. Uh, Zechariah chapter 11, verse 10 and 11. Um, verse 52 said, And the graves were opened. Wait a minute, preacher. That doesn't happen until the rapture of the church. Well, we had our first resurrection before then. So look at this. The graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, meaning who were dead, were raised. Verse 53, And coming out of their graves after his resurrection. Jesus was a first fruit. Jesus was the first fruit of the resurrection. He was the first one to be resurrected from the dead. And so these were a type of first fruits as well. These were the Old Testament saints. These were the saints that, that died knowing God, that was found be like uh, you know Moses and Amos and and Elijah and Enoch all of the or not Enoch but Elijah and all of these others that had fallen asleep, knowing God very well and and considered to be righteous. 
And notice it said, coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. They went in and appeared to many. Can you believe that? Can you imagine sitting in town and all of a sudden seeing people that had been dead for several hundred years, maybe a thousand years, maybe two thousand years, walking around, and you're thinking, what in the living world? This guy looks like what they told me Elijah looked like, or or this guy told me what this what Moses might have looked like, or this what you know what I'm saying? Can you imagine some of the stories that would have been told by seeing these people? And yes, I know Elijah was not dead and in the grave, that Elijah was taken up, you know, into heaven by a whirlwind. But I'm using that as an example because we all heard stories of Elijah. We all heard stories of how, you know, he was kind of a a, a wild person, sort of like how John the Baptist was. And you can imagine how John the Baptist looked, you know, being wild, wearing a leather girdle made out of, of, of uh, camel's hair. So you can imagine all of these Old Testament saints walking around. Why did that happen? And I told you a little bit about that is because he embolished paradise. If you remember the thief on the cross, he looked at the thief on the cross and said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. But when Jesus resurrected, once he ascended into heaven, he took all of those Old Testament saints with him into heaven. Now, let's go on and let's look at this. Verse 54. Now when the centurion and those who were with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly and said, Truly this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were there looking on from afar. And Mary, the mother of Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now when even had come, uh, there come a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had been a secret disciple. And we know what happened. They, they wrapped him in a cloth, and they buried him, and so on. But what I want to bring to your attention is the infallible proofs, and we have several right here in Scripture. One of them is the very fact that Jesus did come back to life and Jesus was walking around and was seen by not only all of the disciples, but everyone that was in that room. And, and we know at Pentecost there was over 120 at least in that room, if not more. Now, also, there could have been exactly that when he walked through the wall several times and, and made himself known to them. But the other fallible proof of a resurrection was that the Old Testament saints resurrected too. Because that's what Matthew said, and the graves were open, and the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, coming out of their graves after his resurrection. And then they went into the holy city. You know, today we would call that sort of like the zombie apocalypse, but that's not how they looked. They weren't nasty looking. They had glorified bodies. They weren't zombies. They had glorified bodies. They looked who they looked like, but they had perfected bodies. The Bible says we'll be known as we are. So, you know, we're not going to be like the angels with wings and floating around, etc. We do not turn into angels. That's not what a- angels are, a created being like you and I are. We do not become angels when we die. So, there are many proofs that Jesus was raised from the dead. We have all sorts of theories, and we discussed that one about Jesus uh, hitting the cold slab and coming back to life and really wasn't uh, uh, dead. And we've, we've made that out to be false, and we've made uh, several others out to be false. But I want to tell you how central that is to our belief. 
that Jesus really raised from the dead. You really can't be a Christian and not believe it. You cannot say, well, you know, I believe Jesus was a, was a good man and I believe he was a prophet and, and I believe, you know, he healed people and so forth, but I don't believe this stuff about him dying and, and, going, and coming back to life. I just don't believe it. Well, then, my friend, let me tell you, you're not a Christian because in order to be a Christian, you have to believe that. And, you know, if you cause doubt on any of the Scripture, on any of the Word of God, doesn't that cast doubt on the whole thing? If you cast doubt on just a little bit of Scripture, if you say, boy, you know, I really really don't think that happened, I really don't believe that, then how can you believe the rest of it? How can you believe any of it? If you doubt any of it whatsoever. You really, that's where faith actually comes in. Faith comes in the fact that you believe it regardless. Faith is believing something that you've not seen yet. That's what Hebrews 11 says. Faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You're hoping for it and you can't see it yet, but you know it's coming. That's called faith. I know God's going to heal me. That's called faith. I have faith to believe that God will heal me. That's You're not healed yet, but you know he will heal you. And that's exactly what 90% of the people God healed said. I believe. I believe. The question is, do you, my friend, do you believe? Do you believe all of this? I mean, we have all sorts of uh, a great time at Easter time. And it's become almost like Christmas. It's become so commercialized and we we make it out to be fun for the children, you know. It becomes a children's game type thing and and we uh, have the Easter Bunny hide eggs, you know, and, and they go and they find these eggs and, and we have, you know, this whole myth about Easter. But, you know, that, that part of Easter is actually a pagan ritual that has crept into the church. Easter eggs were used for other reasons uh, that does symbol is a symbol of new life however it was a symbol of new life to the ancient Babylonian mother child cult it was not a symbol of new life for Jesus Christ and we have taken that in the Christian church and we've added that and say oh well that's a symbol of Jesus now how the rabbit gets involved I have no idea except you know it's got something to do with the the sexual connotation of the Babylonian cult. So I am not real sure how that come about, but I do know by studying the ancient Babylonian cult, the mother-child cult, that they really had a, um, a fetish with, with sex, and, and sex-type worship would bring you closer to God. So we actually have made Easter almost like Christmas, where there's a Santa Claus and things like that, and we've actually turned it so pagan, but in reality, when we celebrate that, we're celebrating the risen Savior. And do you really believe that? Down deep in your heart of hearts tonight, do you really believe that Jesus Christ died for you and rose again on that third day and is alive and well, just as sure as you and I are alive at this very moment? Do you believe that in your heart of hearts? That's the question I have for you tonight. It's very important. It's very important what you believe. And folks, let me tell you, what you believe doesn't necessarily mean what you think. 
It means what you believe in your heart. Whether you might think it could be something else, do you really believe it? You see, you've got to know that you know that you know. It can't be half-truths. You can't say, well, I believe, I believe that he died, but I don't believe he resurrected. No, 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 no. You can't do that. You cannot do that. It's all or none here. You also got to remember in Jesus talking to the seven churches when he was writing to the church through John the Revelator through to the church of Laodicea. He said, I wish you were either hot or cold, but instead you're lukewarm. And since you're lukewarm, I will vomit you. I will spew you out of my mouth. There's no middle ground here. There's no middle ground with Jesus. There's no such thing as lukewarm Christian. If you're a lukewarm Christian, you're bound for hell. He said, I wish you were cold or hot, but since you're neither, you're lukewarm. Literally, you make me sick. You make me vomit. So you, you either choose to believe or you don't. And that's very central to our Christian belief. What is it with you tonight? Do you believe? My friend, it's very simple. If the Word said it, that settles it for me. If the Word said it happened, I believe it. And if the Word said it's going to happen, I believe it. And I, yes, I know I've not been saved as long as most of you probably listening to this podcast. But I want to tell you something. I've seen too many miracles of God himself not to believe I've seen way too many miracles not to believe in his death burial and resurrection I believe it all front to back and I hope you do too thank you for listening tonight hopefully that challenged you a little bit on your faith challenged you a little bit on your belief maybe give you an understanding of what the Bible was talking about in Matthew a little bit Um, But I hope you enjoyed it. We will be having a drive-in service this Sunday at Briley Chapel Community Church in Lewis, Indiana. Service will start at 10.30. Music will start about a quarter after 10. And then we will will start our worship service. Our worship service will begin at 10.30. If you pull into the parking lot uh, and tune your radio to 88.3 on the FM dial, you will be able to hear it. You can stay in your automobiles and stay within social distancing guidelines. There will be an opportunity underneath a canopy should you want to uh, give your tithe or your offering. You can drive under the canopy, roll down your window, drop it, drop your uh, finances or your gifts in the box and drive on out and go to your parking spot. Uh, but we look forward to seeing you Sunday at 10.30 at Briley Chapel Church. And it will be a radio service as well as a Facebook live service as well. So be sure you join us again this Sunday. We're going to be having a a good service. It's always a good service at Briley Chapel. But nonetheless, we're going to have a good service. And we're going to be looking at a couple of questions uh, Sunday. So please join us. Thank you for listening. God bless you. We'll see you on Sunday. Well, good evening. Appreciate you joining me this evening for this little Bible study on Wednesday evening. I appreciate you coming and listening to me. 
I'm Pastor Darren Sluter from Briley Chapel Community Church in Lewis, Indiana. If you have a copy of God's Word with you tonight, we're going to go to two different places tonight. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, and we're also going to be in Matthew chapter 27. Acts chapter 1, Matthew 27. So get your Bibles out and join me for a, just a brief uh, moment of just kind of discussing some Scripture Now, when Jesus was crucified, they buried him in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, we know that he arose. And But with them, a lot of people don't realize with that, there were several others, actually numerous others, raised with Jesus. And we don't really catch that. We kind of miss it. But let's see what the Acts chapter 1 says here. This is... Uh, Dr. Luke, by the way, writing this, Luke, who was a physician, uh, wrote Acts, and, and after uh, intensive study, he put all everything that he found to pen. And it says, The former account that I made to you, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive. So this is proof positive. He was alive after the resurrection. He was not the the Snopes theory, or Swope's theory was uh, was was wrong. Uh, and that theory is that oh Jesus never was really dead. Jesus actually just um, was unconscious from all of the pain and and uh, of, of the scourging and and the nails through his hands and his feet and. And uh, he just was unconscious from the pain. They just thought he was dead. And they went and laid him in the tomb. And then when they put him on that cold rock, it took a while, but he revived. And he got up and, and come out of, the, out of the tomb. Well, there's several reasons why that didn't happen. First of all, who would have been there to roll the stone away? Yes, Jesus could have called angels and rolled the stone away. But uh, if he was thinking he was just a man by that, not thinking that he really died then he would have had to roll the stone away. But the actual reality of it is, is the Romans were very good at what they did. This was not just some slipshod type thing they decided to do. They were very good at killing people. And these soldiers were the best soldiers in all of the world at that time. There weren't any better soldiers at all. So to think that a centurion, which would be sort of like our captains today, a captain in the army. He's been around a while. He's well seasoned. And he's seen a lot of death. Not only did he know that Jesus was dead, he passed, uh, stopped from breaking his legs, but also they shoved a spear up into his side and blood and water come out. Now, why blood and water? First of all, uh, they pierced his side and it went up into the chest cavity and could possibly, depending how deep it went, could have possibly pierced the heart. We don't know for sure. No one did an autopsy on Jesus. They did not do a post-mortem. We have really no idea, but we do know they stabbed him with a spear. And that spear point was approximately six inches long. So we know at least went in six inches, if not more. So we know it got into the lung cavities at least. And by way of suffocation, 
his lungs were filling up with fluid and he literally suffocated and because of of the traumatic beating that he took and so forth uh, he would have suffocated and there would have been a lot of uh, bodily fluid coming out so they would have hit the the sack around the lung and they would have hit the 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 pleural sac around the lung and they would have could have hit the pericardium the sac around the heart we don't know but blood and water both flowed out and this roman centurion knew that jesus was dead uh there was no more proof to be had no more proof to be had he was dead he did not even flinch when they stabbed him with that spear so this theory of that Jesus was laid on this cold slab of of limestone or marble or whatever it was, rock, we don't know really for sure. And all of a sudden he come back to life hours later um, is just really baloney. It didn't happen. Uh, and second of all, we know he was seen by his disciples and not just the 12. There were a lot of other people that saw him that were in that upper room as well. And they saw him and were proof positive. The two men that were on the road to Emmaus come back and reported to Peter and them that they had seen Jesus and talked with Jesus as well. And, of course, the women, Mary Magdalene and and Salome and several others, of course. And then, uh, you know, he walked through the walls and and, uh, just appeared out of nowhere and, and spoke to them. And he, uh, eight days later, did the same thing when Thomas was amongst them. And then Thomas finally believed. We have that record in John. And uh, you've heard me preach on that Easter Sunday as well. Uh, So there's many, many records of him uh, being alive and coming around, walking around people and being around them. Matter of fact, it was not a ghost that they saw because a ghost don't eat and drink. Where is it going to go if it's a ghost if you eat and drink? Jesus ate broiled fish and drank. So, how in the world can a ghost eat and drink? So, it blew that theory out of the water. So, the resurrection is very important for you and I to believe. It's very important. It's just as important to believe in his virgin birth as it is his sacrificial death. So, we must believe in both of them, and that's in centrality to Christianity. Now, let's look what he said in verse 4 of... uh, or verse 3, uh, we'll continue in chapter 1, verse 3 of Acts. It says, To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them, all of these people, during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining unto the kingdom of God. In verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So we know that 10 days before Pentecost, Jesus ascended into heaven. So 40 days after Passover, 40 days after our Easter, Jesus ascended. So he was seen for 40 days. And let's turn over to Matthew 27. I want to look at this other piece of scripture here with you and to give you an idea what's taking place and we had talked about that uh, a couple of um, podcasts back but um, let's look at Matthew chapter 27 
and we're going to look at verse 51. And it says, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks split. Now that was a prophecy of Zechariah in 11, 10, and 11. Uh, Zechariah chapter 11, verse 10 and 11. Um, verse 52 said, And the graves were opened. Wait a minute, preacher. That doesn't happen until the rapture of the church. Well, we had our first resurrection before then. So look at this. The graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, meaning who were dead, were raised. Verse 53, And coming out of their graves after his resurrection. Jesus was a first fruit. Jesus was the first fruit of the resurrection. He was the first one to be resurrected from the dead. And so these were a type of first fruits as well. These were the Old Testament saints. These were the saints that that died knowing God that was found be like uh, you know Moses and Amos and and Elijah and Enoch all of the or not Enoch but Elijah and all of these others that had fallen asleep knowing God very well and and considered to be righteous. And notice it said coming out of the graves after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many. They went in and appeared to many. Can you believe that? Can you imagine sitting in town and all of a sudden seeing people that had been dead for several hundred years, maybe a thousand years, maybe two thousand years, walking around, and you're thinking, what in the living world? This guy looks like what they told me Elijah looked like, or or this guy told me what this what Moses might have looked like, or this what you know what I'm saying? Can you imagine? some of the stories that would have been told by seeing these people and yes I know Elijah was not dead and in the grave that Elijah was taken up you know into heaven by a whirlwind but I'm using that as an example because we all heard stories of Elijah we all heard stories of how you know he was kind of a a a wild person sort of like how John the Baptist was and you can imagine how John the Baptist looked you know being wild wearing a leather girdle made out of of of, uh, camel's hair so you can imagine all of these Old Testament saints walking around. Why did that happen? And I told you a little bit about that is because he embolished paradise. If you remember the thief on the cross, he looked at the thief on the cross and said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. But when Jesus resurrected, once he ascended into heaven, he took all of those Old Testament saints with him into heaven. Now, Let's go on and let's look at this. Verse 54. Now when the centurion and those who were with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly and said, Truly this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him were there looking on from afar. And Mary, the mother of Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now when even had come, Uh, there come a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who himself had been a secret disciple. And we know what happened. They they wrapped him in a cloth and they buried him and so on. But what I wanted to bring to your attention is the infallible proofs. And we have several right here in Scripture. One of them is the very fact that Jesus did come back to life and Jesus was walking around and was seen by not only all of the disciples, but everyone that was in that room. And, and we know at Pentecost there was over 120 at least in that room, if not more. 
Now, also, there could have been exactly that when he walked through the wall several times and, and made himself known to them. But the other fallible proof of a resurrection was that the Old Testament saints resurrected too because that's what Matthew said. And the graves were open and the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised coming out of their graves after his resurrection. And then they went into the holy city. You know, today we would call that sort of like the zombie apocalypse, but that's not how they looked. They weren't nasty looking. They had glorified bodies. They weren't zombies. They had glorified bodies. They looked who they looked like, but they had perfected bodies. The Bible says we'll be known as we are. So, you know, we're not going to be like the angels with wings and floating around, etc. We do not turn into angels. That's not what a- angels are, a created being like you and I are. We do not become angels when we die. So there are many proofs that Jesus was raised from the dead. We have all sorts of theories, and we discussed that one about Jesus uh, hitting the cold slab and coming back to life and really wasn't uh, uh, dead, and we've, we've made that out to be false, and we've made uh, several others out to be false. But I want to tell you how central that is to our belief that Jesus really raised from the dead. You really can't be a Christian and not believe it. You cannot say, well, you know, I believe Jesus was a, was a good man and I believe he was a prophet and, and I believe, you know, he healed people and so forth, but I don't believe this stuff about him dying and, and, going and coming back to life. I just don't believe it. Well, then, my friend, let me tell you, you're not a Christian because in order to be a Christian, you have to believe that. And, you know, if you cause doubt on any of the Scripture, on any of the Word of God, don't, doesn't that cast doubt on the whole thing? If you cast doubt on just a little bit of Scripture, if you say, boy, you know, I really, I really don't think that happened, I really don't believe that, then how can you believe the rest of it? How can you believe any of it? If you doubt any of it whatsoever. You really, that's where faith actually comes in. Faith comes in the fact that you believe it regardless. Faith is believing something that you've not seen yet. That's what Hebrews 11 says. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You're hoping for it and you can't see it yet, but you know it's coming. That's called faith. I know God's going to heal me. That's called faith. I have faith to believe that God will heal me. That's You're not healed yet, but you know he will heal you. And that's exactly what 90% of the people God healed said. I believe. I believe. The question is, do you, my friend, do you believe? Do you believe all of this? I mean, we have all sorts of uh, a great time at Easter time, and it's become almost like Christmas. It's become so commercialized, and we, we make it out to be fun for the children, you know. It becomes a children's game type thing, and, and we uh, have the Easter bunny hide eggs, you know, and, and they go and they find these eggs, and and we have, you know, this whole myth about Easter. But, you know, that, that part of Easter is actually a pagan ritual that has crept into the church. Easter eggs were used for other reasons uh, that does symbol, is a symbol of new life. However, it was a symbol of new life to the ancient Babylonian mother-child cult. It was not a symbol of new life for Jesus Christ. And we have taken that in the Christian church and we've added that 
and say, oh, well, that's a symbol of Jesus now. How the rabbit gets involved, I have no idea, except, you know, it's got something to do with the, the sexual connotation of the Babylonian cult. So I am not real sure how that come about, but I do know by studying the ancient Babylonian cult, the mother-child cult, that they really had a, um, a fetish with, with sex, and, and sex-type worship would bring you closer to God. So we actually have made Easter almost like Christmas, where there's a Santa Claus and things like that, and we've actually turned it so pagan, but in reality, when we celebrate that, we're celebrating the risen Savior. And do you really believe that? Down deep in your heart of hearts tonight, do you really believe that Jesus Christ died for you and rose again on that third day and is alive and well, just as sure as you and I are alive at this very moment? Do you believe that in your heart of hearts? That's the question I have for you tonight. It's very important. It's very important what you believe. And folks, let me tell you, what you believe doesn't necessarily mean what you think. It means what you believe in your heart. Whether you might think it could be something else, do you really believe it? You see, you've got to know that you know that you know. It can't be half-truths. You can't say, well, I believe, I believe that he died, but I don't believe he resurrected. No, 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 no. You can't do that. You cannot do that. It's all or none here. You also got to remember in Jesus talking to the seven churches when he was writing to the church through John the Revelator, through to the church of Laodicea, he said, I wish you were either hot or cold, but instead you're lukewarm. And since you're lukewarm, I will vomit you. I will spew you out of my mouth. There's no middle ground here. There's no middle ground with Jesus. There's no such thing as lukewarm Christian. If you're a lukewarm Christian, you're bound for hell. He said, I wish you were cold or hot, but since you're neither, you're lukewarm. Literally, you make me sick. You make me vomit. So you, you either choose to believe or you don't. And that's very central to our Christian belief. What is it with you tonight? Do you believe? My friend, it's very simple. If the Word said it, that settles it for me. If the Word said it happened, I believe it. And if the Word said it's going to happen, I believe it. And I, yes, I know I've not been saved as long as most of you probably listening to this podcast. But I want to tell you something. I've seen too many miracles of God himself not to believe. I've seen way too many miracles not to believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. I believe it all front to back. And I hope you do too. Thank you for listening tonight. Hopefully that challenged you a little bit on your faith, challenged you a little bit on your belief, maybe give you an understanding of what the Bible was talking about in Matthew a little bit. Um, But I hope you enjoyed it. We will be having a drive-in service this Sunday at Briley Chapel Community Church in Lewis, Indiana. Service will start at 10.30. Music will start about a quarter after 10. And then we we will start our worship service. Our worship service will begin at 10.30. If you pull into the parking lot uh, and tune your radio to 88.3 on the FM dial, you will be able to hear it. You can stay in your automobiles and stay within social distancing guidelines. 
There will be an opportunity underneath the canopy should you want to uh, give your tithe or your offering. You can drive under the canopy, roll down your window, drop drop your uh, finances or your gifts in the box and drive on out and go to your parking spot. Uh, But we look forward to seeing you Sunday at 1030 at Briley Chapel Church. And it will be a radio service as well as a Facebook live service as well. So be sure you join us again this Sunday. We're going to be having a, a, a good service. It's always a good service at Briley Chapel, but nonetheless, we're going to have a good service and we're going to be looking at a couple of questions uh, Sunday. So please join us. Thank you for listening. God bless you. We'll see you on Sunday.